Amen. Please be seated. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. Now I'm going to read and preach verses 1 and 2 this morning. I hope you're participating in the scripture memory challenge that I mentioned last week. If you're following the harder challenge track, verses 1 and 2, you'll know are the verses that are due today. Or just verse 1 if you're following the easier challenge track. So don't forget to find someone after the service and ask them if you can say your verses to them. That might be a little awkward, but it's okay. Let's get over that awkwardness together. And of course, you can talk about the verses as well, uh, what you learned from the sermon perhaps. And if you haven't memorized the verses yet, that's okay. Uh, You'll be more familiar with them after the sermon as we walk through them together. Perhaps you could work on them this afternoon. It would be a great Lord's Day afternoon activity. And then say them to someone this evening when you come. If you weren't here last week and you're not sure what we're talking about, there was an insert in the bulletin and there are extra inserts and also memory verse sheets that the inserts mention at the ministries board shelf in the narthex. So out in the narthex, take a left. The first shelf on the left, uh, you can grab one of the inserts and then also one of the memory verse sheets there after the service. Well, let's pray for God's blessing on the sermon and then I'll read and preach these first two verses of chapter 12. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these wonderful verses you've given us through the Apostle Paul. Words of truth that come ultimately from you, writing through him, inspiring him. And we thank you that we can all take some time now to read them and to hear them preached. To think deeply and carefully about them and by your spirit to apply them to our hearts and lives. Would you help us now by your spirit? Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and transform us by the renewal of our minds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12, reading verses one and two. This is the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? There are two commands, two exhortations in these two verses that will serve as the two main points of the sermon. And you can see them in your sermon notes there. Number one, present your bodies as a living sacrifice in verse one. And number two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in verse two. And we'll take those in turn. So first, number one, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want us to especially notice three things here in verse one. The first is Paul's care for these believers 
in Rome, his care for them. And I think we see that in the opening words of the verse. If you look again at the opening words of verse one, he says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Paul appeals to these Christians in Rome. He beseeches them. He urges them to respond to these gospel truths he's been talking about by presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice. He wants them to respond. He very much wants them to respond to these truths in this way. It's not like he doesn't care what they do with these truths. He very much cares what they do with these truths. He's, he's not like a mailman who just puts a letter in your mailbox but doesn't particularly care what you do with it because he's delivered the letter so his job's done. He's moving on to the next mailbox. No, Paul here is more like a good friend who sends you a letter of encouragement and compassion when you're going through a hard time. Your friend, your friend very much wants you to read the letter and be encouraged by it and helped by it because they care for you. Paul's like that friend. He, he cares for these believers and so he appeals to them to respond to these truths by presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice. And as I point that out, I just want us to pause briefly to note that we should have the same care for each other here in the body of Christ here at CRPC, particularly as fellow members of the same local church. We should care for each other because we're brothers, just like Paul says here. We are siblings. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. We've been adopted by our Heavenly Father. We are united to our elder brother. So we should care for all the members of our spiritual family, the people sitting in front of you, the people down your row, people behind you, the people across the room even are members of your spiritual family, those we've committed ourselves to in our vows of membership. Of course, we shouldn't be content to just come on Sundays and consume and then leave, not really have meaningful contact with our fellow church members, our spiritual family. Rather, we should care for one another. We should linger after the services as we're able and interact with each other. Uh, We should uh, do this with all those who are in the body of Christ, young and old. And I I think you do this well as a congregation, particularly from my vantage point at the doors at the back. I very much enjoy both looking into the sanctuary and out into the narthex and seeing the conversations that are happening, uh, even the prayers that are being offered for one another. So uh, I thank God for you in that, and I encourage you to keep it up. But also be reminded of the importance of caring for one another spiritually and that's what we'll see throughout Romans 12 together take the time make the effort to nurture one another's growth in Christ encourage each other in the truths of the gospel even appeal to one another appeal to each other to endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ as we've all vowed to do we're family We're brothers and sisters in Christ, so let's care well for each other. So we note briefly Paul's Paul's care for these believers. Secondly, notice the connection Paul makes with what he's already written 
in this letter. He says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and so on. I appeal to you, therefore, in light of what's come before, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. By the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God I've just been writing about. In light of those mercies and empowered by those mercies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says. Paul makes a connection to all that's come before. He roots these imperatives in the indicatives of the previous 11 chapters. The imperatives, the the commands, the exhortations are rooted in the indicatives, the truths that indicate what God has done for us in Christ and, and who we are now in him. The imperatives are rooted in the indicatives. We are called to bear fruit that stems from the root of what God has done for us in Christ. The Bible often addresses us in this way, doesn't it? We're told the truth about what God has done for us in Christ, and then we're told how to respond to the truth in our lives. So you have Romans 1 through 11, which is largely, but not exclusively, the indicative And then you have Romans 12 through 16, which is largely, but not exclusively, the imperative. Romans doesn't stop at the end of chapter 11, does it? This is what God's done for you, and that's it. No, it keeps going to chapters 12 through 16. Here's how you should respond to what God's done for you. Romans doesn't stop at chapter 11, but neither does it start at Romans 12. It doesn't start with the imperative of here's how you should live without first laying the foundation of the indicative of here's what God has done for you in Christ. There's both the imperative and the indicative, and the imperative is rooted in the indicative. Without gas, your car is not going to get anywhere. But once you fill it up, you're not just supposed to sit there at the gas station. You're supposed to go. The car is meant to be driven. It's meant to go somewhere. The indicative is the gas. The imperative tells you where you need to go, but fueled by the gas. So whenever you encounter the indicative in the Bible, don't forget the imperative. And whenever you encounter the imperative in the Bible, don't forget the indicative. The car is meant to be driven, it's meant to go somewhere, but it's not going anywhere without gas. I appreciated what Thomas Schreiner said about this in his commentary on Romans. He said, the mercies of God summon us to active effort. But this active effort, if it is based on the indicative of God's grace, should never be confused with legalism. The energy of God's grace summons human beings not to passivity, but to exertion. But it is an exertion rooted in faith. 
and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we've seen Paul's care for these believers. We've seen this connection to what's come before. Thirdly, let's look now at the command Paul gives, the imperative that is rooted in the indicative. The command is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, what does it mean for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Well, the idea of presenting something as a sacrifice, of course, comes from the Old Testament and the whole system of sacrifices that God prescribed there for his people, the Israelites. They were to present a sacrifice to the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple, an offering that was dedicated to the Lord or devoted to the Lord. And here, that language is being used to refer to us, offering ourselves to the Lord, dedicating ourselves, devoting ourselves totally to God. Not, of course, as a way to atone for our sins, because Christ already did that. He offered up himself once as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God, as our catechism summarizes it. But because he did that for us, we are now to devote ourselves to him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says, which doesn't mean that we don't present our minds or our hearts or our wills to God. Paul's going to talk about being transformed by the renewal of our minds in the next verse. Rather, bodies is here a way of referring to the whole person just like the whole sacrifice was devoted to the Lord in the Old Testament. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is a spiritually alive sacrifice. Chapter 6, verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are now. That's, that's our condition now. We are alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore... All have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So in light of all that God has done for us in Christ, in light of God's mercies, and indeed empowered by God's mercies, we are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul uses similar language in Romans 6, verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In verse 19 of chapter 6, 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. In other words, don't use your body to sin. Use your body to serve and to sacrifice. Present your bodies, as Paul says here, as a living sacrifice. We're also to be a sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, Paul says here. Holy as in set apart for God, devoted to God, dedicated to his service. And even though we know that in so many ways we are not holy, we do want to be holy. By God's grace, we are growing in holiness. And we are most certainly called to be holy. God says to be holy as I am holy. We're also called to be a sacrifice that is acceptable to God, which probably has the sense of sincere, genuine, from the heart, as opposed to fake. So if you brought a stuffed animal to the tabernacle as your sacrifice, that wouldn't be an acceptable sacrifice. That wouldn't be real. We are to bring ourselves to God sincerely, truly, And of course, we know that ultimately we are acceptable because we are accepted in the beloved in Jesus Christ. We are accepted by virtue of our union with Christ. So we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, we're to be totally devoted to God. And Paul says at the end of the verse that this is our spiritual Worship. Remember the verse from the front of the bulletin, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This and in Romans 12 as well is what we refer to as worship in all of life in our mission statement. We worship God corporately like we're doing now as a whole body, a whole corpus, morning and evening every Lord's Day. We worship God privately in our homes during the week in family worship and secret worship, personal devotions. And we worship God in all of life in every aspect of our lives. We seek to honor God and serve God in everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Two things by way of further application here. First, in light of this command, 
I think it would be good for us to examine ourselves. To examine our hearts as well as our lives. To see if there's perhaps something we might be holding back from the Lord. We're called to be totally devoted to him, right? To present our bodies, really our whole selves, as a living and holy and acceptable sacrifice to him. And of course, we all fall short of that every day, don't we? We know that. But it's good for us to examine ourselves to see where exactly we're falling short. So we can address it, so that we can take it to the Lord in prayer as we sing. So are you holding back something from God? Some part of your heart, some part of your life. Use this verse as a spotlight, a searchlight, a black light even, to scan your heart and your life to see if there's any area of your heart and life that is not totally devoted to God, at least in terms of what you want to be the case, what you're seeking to be the case. Are you holding back anything from the Lord? Maybe it's in the area of money. Maybe it's an aspect of your sexuality. Maybe it's the area of beauty and fashion and clothes. Or perhaps it's in the area of entertainment or a favorite hobby. Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's the way that you handle social media. Or perhaps the way you speak to those closest to you or treat those closest to you behind closed doors. Scan your heart and life with this verse, with this command, with this exhortation and see if there's something you're holding back from the Lord. And if there is, I encourage you to take it straight to him in prayer. Even now, this morning, confess to him the sin of not being totally devoted to him in that particular area. Repent, turn, turn away from that sin and turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus again in faith for forgiveness, for the cleansing you need that only he can give. And then ask the Lord to empower you in response to his word this morning to present that area of your life to him so that you can be a living and holy and acceptable sacrifice. Ask him to enable you to worship him, to honor him in that area of your life. For all of us, let's not hold anything back from the Lord. Let's present our whole selves, all we are and all we have, to him. Let's be totally devoted to God. Let's not live for ourselves. Let's die to ourselves and live for Christ. 
Secondly, by way of application, related to everything I just said, not to be divided from everything I just said, let the mercies of God be the fuel for your total devotion to God. Let the mercies of God be the fuel for your total devotion to God. As we think about the call to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, as we think about the call to be totally devoted to God, we need to see the mercies of God standing behind us, ready to push us forward. We need to know that the mercies of God are the wind in our sails as we seek to obey this command. Remember, the imperative is rooted in the indicative. The car is fueled by the gas. And the mercies of God are the fuel of our total devotion to God. It is by the mercies of God that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It is in light of God's mercies and empowered by God's mercies that we are to devote ourselves to him. This command, or any other, is not meant to be burdensome to us. By the mercy of God, our burden has been lifted so that we can run in the way of God's commands. So don't try to do this in your own strength. Don't try to drive the car without gas in the tank. Let the mercies of God be the fuel for your total devotion to God. Well, there's a second exhortation Paul gives more more briefly here, our second main point. And it is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Let's look at that now together and we'll note two things in verse two. Two things I want us to notice. First, the do and don't in the first part of the verse, and then discerning God's will in the second part of the verse. So note the do and don't at the beginning of the verse, really the don't and do in terms of the order. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, as the J.B. Phillips paraphrase famously has it. Kids, you know how you can take your old crayons that you've used, and with your mom's help, of course, you can melt them in the oven? Perhaps you've done this before. You, you, you cut them up or shave them up, and you put them into some crayon molds, maybe in the shape of a star or something. And then the crayon melts in the oven in the shape of a star, if you can picture that. Well, that's the crayon being conformed to the mold, to the shape of a star. And the Bible says that we should not be conformed to the world We shouldn't act like or talk like or live like people who don't know Jesus and who don't follow Jesus. We shouldn't just do whatever worldly people do. We shouldn't think the way worldly people think. We shouldn't just go with the flow or hang with the in crowd, do what everyone else is doing. 
Rather, the Bible says very clearly, very simply, don't be conformed to this world. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says to all of us, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We already read some from Ephesians 2 earlier, but the chapter begins in this way, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Near the end of 2 Timothy, there's a very sad verse. Chapter 4, verse 10, where Paul says, in the midst of various greetings, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Don't be in love with this present world. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be worldly. Be godly. Go against the current. Swim upstream. Don't be like a stick in the water, just floating along with the current downstream. Be like a salmon in the water, swimming upstream, battling against the current to make it all the way back home. I think one of the ways we can guard against being conformed to this world is to watch what we eat. And not literally in terms of food, though that is also wise, but metaphorically in terms of what we take into our minds. Watch what you eat. Be careful what you consume. Fill your mind with good things, good thoughts, good music. Guard the gate of your mind. You wouldn't just let an intruder walk right into your house. Don't let an intruder into your mind. Don't leave your mind unguarded like a bank without a vault or even a security guard. Be like Fort Knox when it comes to guarding your mind and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Don't be conformed to this world. Do be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformation, sanctification, change 
happens as our minds are renewed by the word of God. We are transformed as our thinking is transformed. We are changed as our thinking is changed and conformed to the truth of God's word. So like that melted crayon, don't conform to the mold of the world, conform to the mold of the word. And that will transform you more and more into the image of Christ. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Of course, we renew our minds by reading God's word, don't we? And reading it carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully, not just running our eyes over it as if it were the terms and conditions on a website before we check the box saying that we read the terms and conditions, but reading it carefully like we would that letter from a dear friend in a time of need. We also renew our minds by meditating on God's word, perhaps pausing at verses that stand out to us and pondering their meaning praying through those verses and thinking deliberately about how they apply to our lives. We also renew our minds by memorizing God's word like we're seeking to do in the Romans memory challenge which allows us to store up God's word in our hearts. Just like you might store up canned fruits and jams in your pantry Memorizing scripture allows us to store up the word of God in our hearts so that we can feed on God's word throughout our lives. So read God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word. Be conformed to the mold of the word. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind by the word of God. So that's the do and don't we should note in the first part of verse 2. Let's note secondly and finally what Paul says about discerning God's will in the second part of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renew your mind so you can discern God's will, is what Paul's saying. Renew your mind by the word so you can understand what God's will is, so you can walk in it. Now remember, there are two sides to God's will, as it were, that we see in Scripture. There's what we could call his will of decree, his will of decree, And there's his will of desire, his will of desire. His will of decree is whatever he has decreed will happen. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, as our confession puts it. 
And his will of decree is something he has not revealed to us. It is the secret things that belong to the Lord our God, Deuteronomy 31, 31. And we're not supposed to try to discern that will. We're not supposed to try to figure out the future before it happens. But his will of desire is something he has revealed to us. It's his commands, his precepts, his laws. It's what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. He wants us to obey him in specific ways and he commands us to walk in obedience to his law. So to discern God's will is to understand what he commands It's to understand how to obey him in the different situations we face in our lives. And how do we understand how to obey him? Well, we renew our minds by the word. As our minds are renewed by his word, we are able to discern what his will is. How to walk in obedience to him in the different situations we encounter in our daily lives. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we know what is pleasing to the Lord? God has revealed it to us in Holy Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's God's will for us. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, Paul prays along these lines, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The will of God, as Paul says at the end of the verse, is what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is good in God's sight? What is truly good? Not good according to the world, but good according to the Lord. And what is acceptable to God, not unacceptable. And what is perfect? What conforms not to the world, but to the perfect law of the Lord, the perfect character. Of God. So Paul appeals to these believers in Rome and to us as believers today. In light of God's mercies and empowered by God's mercies, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And as we come to a close this morning, let me leave you with this. 
what God is calling us to in these verses and what he empowers us to do by his mercies is what we're about to sing together in our final hymn. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. In response to God's mercies, in reply to the first 11 chapters of this letter, we want to give ourselves to God every day. We want to devote all we have and all we are to him, to our gracious God, to our heavenly Father, to our faithful Savior. Say to him, sing to him, take my moments and my days, take my hands and my feet, take my voice and my lips, my silver and my gold. Take my intellect, take my will, take my heart, take my love, take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Ever only all for thee. Let's pray together. Lord, that is the desire of our hearts, a desire you've planted in our hearts, that we would be totally devoted to you. And we pray that you would fan that desire into flame. Help us to take to heart the things we've heard this morning from your word. Help us to remember them, to discuss them with each other, to ponder them this afternoon. And we pray that you would empower us by your mercies to walk in obedience to these commands. Oh Lord, we need your help in that. We need your grace for when we fall short. We thank you for Jesus and his perfect obedience and the atonement he made for our disobedience on the cross. And we pray that you would help us to walk with him. Help each one of us to say with sincerity, to sing with sincerity now, take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.